Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. We are continuing to look at different parables that Jesus spoke. And for those who might be uh, new to the scriptures, parables uh, was one of the primary ways that Jesus would teach and instruct people through these short um, allegorical stories or pictures that would try and paint a picture of who God is really like, what his kingdom is really like. And today, maybe one of the most important pictures, parables, that we could ever focus on and think about um, because for Jesus, this was central to who he was. And so we're going to read this text um, and then we're going to unpack it, ask ourselves some questions um, and just kind of work through it together. But here's what I would like for you to do. Um, this, this particular text um, is not meant to be um, observed or dissected as much as it's meant to be experienced. So wherever you are, if you want to just, just take a moment, just take a deep breath. It's kind of quiet, all the noises around you and inside you. Um, I just want you to hear these words uh, that Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is um, it's one of those passages at the end of Matthew 11 that I find myself going to often. There, there's something about it that I can't get enough of. Um, and I think the reason for that is because there's a truth to it that I'm, my soul's desperate for. Um, this, this parable, this imagery um, of a yoke is given to his disciples to know exactly who Jesus is. So three things we want to focus on in this passage. Number one is the heart of Jesus. Number two is the yoke of Jesus, and number three is the rest of Jesus. Uh, and I want to start um, with the heart of Jesus because this is the only time in all of the Gospels, in all of the Bible, that we see Jesus Christ tell us about his heart. Um, Dane Ortland recently wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly, and the thesis of this book, the opening chapter of this book, uh, gives this um, really compelling um, realization that I just shared that Jesus talks about his heart one time. And for the, the Jewish worldview, for the biblical worldview, the heart was the center of who someone was. It was, uh, had, they had no idea necessarily of the biological implications of the heart. When they say heart in scripture, they're talking about the very essence, the inner being, the core, the source of that person. And so here Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, says, 
here's my heart, the core, the essence, the centrality of who I am. And he describes it with two words, is gentle and lowly. Gentle and lowly. I mean, think about this. The heart of God is not described as holy, powerful. It's not described as judgmental. It's not described um, in any of the ways that we might think of the core of who God is. Jesus describes his own heart, the core of who he is, the core of the God of the universe, as gentle and lowly. That word gentle in the Greek is only used this one time in the New Testament. And it's used to talk about this mildness, this gentleness, exactly what the word would prescribe. Uh, The second word, humble or lowly, is used a handful of times to describe the opposite of pride. When, When the scriptures talk about how God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud, oftentimes this picture, this word of humility is used in juxtaposition to pride. And and so when you think about this, if anyone has the right to be prideful, it would be the God of the universe. He holds all power, all authority, all ability, yet he describes his heart, the core of who he is, not as prideful, not as conceited, not as overconfident, all of which he has the right to. He describes his heart as gentle and lowlier, humble. This is why Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, when he's addressing the attitude the church should have, it instructs them to be humble, to think of others more importantly than themselves, and goes on to say, this is the attitude of Christ. It is the attitude and the heart of Christ, not to step into what is deserved or owed, but rather to lay oneself down in humility to achieve something else. Ultimately, that is love. And so our very first point today is is one that I would encourage you to just meditate on. The heart of Jesus. We know one verse in the entire Bible that tells us what it is, and it is gentle and humble. Is that how you see the heart of God? Now, um, I was told by um, a friend of mine who's from Australia. She's a brilliant pastor and theologian. Uh, She was describing how in Australia... They do shepherding, shepherding sheep differently um, than they do in, uh, in the Western America and Europe. Uh, they describe their shepherding is called center set, whereas most shepherding as we would think of, whether it's in America or in Europe or in the Middle East, is bounded set. Bounded set is when you have a property line that you build up fences around And that helps your sheep know this is where you get to stay within. In Australia, there's no fences. It's not bounded set. It's center set. So what they do is they dig a well. And the sheep know exactly where that well is, and they won't venture too far from that well. The reason why this is so huge is because If we don't know the heart of Jesus, we will immediately start looking for the boundaries of Jesus. Don't do this. 
we lean into morality, we lean into like, okay, this is good, this is bad. And again, those things aren't, they're not necessarily wrong. But when we know the heart, when we know this, the center of Jesus, and we know that humility and that gentleness, it helps us not stray too far from the right or the left. And I, I just wanted to be honest. Um, there are many people um, that f- claim to be followers of Jesus, that claim to people who lead um, the church and different things like that, that have found themselves taking up a tone that is defending the fences and the gates. But what we see in this picture is Jesus is saying, here's the center point. Here's the well that you need to keep coming back from again and again. And it is my heart is gentle and lowly. As followers of Jesus, that is not only for us to come and drink from, but that should be our center as well. Thomas Goodwin, who was a Puritan writer, said that men are apt to have contrary conceits of Christ. But he tells them his disposition there by preventing such hard thoughts of him to allure them unto him the more. We are apt to think that he, being so holy, is therefore of a severe and a sour disposition against sinners and not able to bear them. No, says he, I am meek. Gentleness is my nature and temper. So we've got to begin there. The heart of Jesus is gentle and lowly. Secondly, the yoke of Jesus. This is where things, uh, he leans into this parable, this, this picture that they are to, to visualize when it comes to understanding the heart of God. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, Jesus is is like he often does, is turning the cultural norm on its head. You see, the term yoke was used by Pharisees and some rigid rabbis to describe their relationship to the law. They would talk about the yoke of the law, the joy of the yoke of the law. But what was interesting is that people didn't share that joy. The yoke of the law was this unbearable burden to live a certain way that was impossible to reach on their own righteousness. And so Jesus, playing on that common concept, doesn't talk about the yoke of the law. He says, take my yoke upon you, for it's easy and it's light, which again was a massive contrast to what that was. Um, Dallas Willard has this amazing lecture on the easy yoke. Um, and he describes uh, really the, the purpose of a yoke, because again, many of us haven't maybe even seen a yoke before. Um, he described the way it would work on a farm with, with a couple of horses or oxen. And, and oftentimes what they would do is they would take a, a, a horse or an ox that had, was older and had been broken, and they would yoke it up with a young, uh, more unbridled animal. And the job of the yoke was to team up two animals. And what would happen is the younger, untamed, unbridled animal would just start rushing ahead to go plow through the field. And the old animal would say, go right ahead. (laughs) And the younger animal would do all of the work. And eventually, 
that animal would grow tired and not be able to pull their own weight. And so the person driving and plowing would use different methods to scoot that that animal on. And eventually that new young unbridled animal learned that it did no good rushing on ahead in front of the yoke of the other animal and did no good falling behind. But the best way possible was to walk in step with the other animal. That is such a picture of what we do. Um, we, we like the idea of God. We're interested in the idea of who Jesus is. But we still tend to just run ahead in our life. And Jesus, I can just imagine patiently just saying, if you would like, I'll shoulder that with you. You don't have to carry that on your own. That worry, that anxiousness, that striving, that performance-based thing that is just keeps you up at night and, and drives you out of bed in the morning. He says, yoke with me. The second thing about that, this is so profound, is that the, the goal of a yoke is to accomplish something together. To have the same line in the dirt, to plow the same field. And to think about Jesus knowing the mission and the purpose of his kingdom says, walk with me, yoke with me. There's a dignity to that, but there's also an irony to it. There's an irony when Jesus talks about a yoke being easy and light. Uh, Dane Ortland says, a yoke is the heavy crossbar laid on an oxen to force them to drag farming equipment through the field. Jesus is using a kind of irony saying that the yoke laid on the disciples is a non-yoke, for it is a yoke of kindness. Who could resist this? It's like telling a drowning man that he must put on the burden of a life preserver, only to hear him shouting back, sputtering, no way, not me. This is hard enough. Drowning here in these stormy waters, the last thing I need is the added burden of a life preserver around my body. That's what we are like, confessing Christ with our lips, but generally avoiding deep fellowship with him out of a muted understanding of his heart. The easy yoke is this paradox. And yet somehow we mistakenly think that the way of Jesus is an added burden rather than a gift of life and ease and, and ultimately a way to life to the full. Um, Dallas Willard says, It is easy to think that the Christian life is just one more burden to add to your already overwhelmed rhythm. But Jesus does not offer more on your plate, but offers you a different plate entirely in which you can approach your whole life. So here's the invitation. Jesus wants you to be yoked up with him. So when you step into your Monday or your Tuesday, your place of work or study, the small children you're raising, the parents that are aging you're caring for, um, the bills that you're paying, all of those things in your life, you have the choice to run on ahead on your own strength or to yoke with Jesus. This is why in Colossians it says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, Ronald Rollheiser 
has this amazing book called Domestic Monastery, where he just talks about how to abide with Christ in the midst of just normal life. I mean, I have four kids. It's summertime. It's it, it's hectic and wild and full, especially as we're on this end of the pandemic. It just feels so much is going on. And yet there is an invitation, not outside of life, but in the midst of it, to come and yoke with Jesus. He says in his book, go to your cell and your cell will teach you everything you need to know. Stay inside your vocation, inside your commitments, inside your legitimate conscriptive duties inside your church, inside your family, and they will teach you where life is found and what love means. Be faithful to your commitments and what you ultimately look for will be found there. This sermon is about the heart of God, the yoke of God. Um, This is not some sort of escapist lecture, just as like you just need to get away and rather it's Jesus is offering you something in the middle of your life, and it is a different way to live. And ultimately, our last point is that that is defined by rest. I mean, listen to this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find, here it is again, rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I find it not coincidental that the very next thing that happens in Matthew's gospel is that him and his disciples are walking through a field. His disciples pick some grain and start to eat it, which was um, not culturally appropriate to the tradition of the Sabbath. And Jesus uh, kind of comes back at the teachers of the law who are rebuking his disciples. And he, and he has this phrase. He says, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath. The one thing I think is really significant is that he doesn't just say he's Lord over it. He's the Lord of it. It's coming from within him. He is the Sabbath rest. And so for us, um, recognizing if your version of rest looks like binging a Netflix series, having another drink, waiting for that next vacation, going and finding another relationship, another hobby, but it's void of Jesus, your soul will never find the rest it's actually looking for because it ultimately will find its rest in Him. This is what St. Augustine so famously put. He says, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in Thee. The author of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 4, and he's talking about there's still a Sabbath rest that remains, but it's not talking about just a, just a day, although we absolutely affirm that there should be a, a period each week where we rest, but that that day is pointing towards our ultimate rest, which is found in Jesus, our Savior, our Shepherd, our High Priest. And I think this is the invitation that is offered through this parable in Matthew 11, 
is that you would come and recognize just a few things, that the heart of Jesus is gentle and lowly. That you'd recognize that the yoke of Jesus is easy and light. And that you'd recognize that the rest of Jesus is fully satisfying at a soul level and it lasts for eternity. Step into that space. This is an invitation. By the way, I was just reading articles um, that UCLA Medical and John Hopkins just put out about the fatigue that is alarming going on. Chronic fatigue syndrome, different um, things with depression, anxiety that are happening post-pandemic because of even though if people were, let's say, uh, working more from home, if people even weren't working, there was kind of this assumption like, oh, what a great rest we're all having. And I think what, what scientists are seeing is no one's rested. Why? Because we don't need to just get away with our commute. We don't need less hours. We don't need what, what we're needing is something that our soul is craving that can only be found in Jesus. But here's the good news. I just want to conclude with this. It's easy for us to think that us resting only benefits ourselves, which is very in line with kind of the self-help, self-care movement. But listen, can I tell you something? When we rest, the world benefits. When we work out of, love out of, lead out of places of resting in Jesus, everybody flourishes because of it. This is why this is critical, not only for your own soul, but for the world that desperately needs to see the heart of Jesus. But if every follower of Jesus is running around just as frantic as everyone else without any rest for their soul, then we are losing the message that is so attractive and so needed in the world around us. Um, Last quote I just want to give you, um, but again, Ortland says this, He astounds and sustains us with His endless kindness. Only as we walk ever deeper into this tender kindness can we live the Christian life as the New Testament calls us to. Only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake everywhere we go the aroma of heaven. So I'm going to say that again. Only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ we will leave in our wake everywhere we go the aroma of heaven and die one day having startled the world with a glimpse of divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. Let's startle the world with a glimpse of the divine kindness that resides at the core and the center of Jesus Christ. It's yours today to be had. Rest in Him. A couple practical things you may want to consider. Um, The first one is, uh, when is the last time, if ever, you have practiced a a Sabbath day? And if for you, taking a day off just seems too much, then start with half a day. But start somewhere in your week, a rhythm where you turn off your screens, you turn off your emails and your calendars, you turn off the noise of life, and you don't just go and, and live aimlessly. You live into Christ. And that can look a myriad of different ways, which is kind of our second point. 
Every single person receives rest from God in, in I believe, in a unique way. Yes, ultimately, his, his word and prayer, but also in his creation as we engage him with our bodies. And, we're, and for me, just going on a walk or going surfing, uh, being with people, having community. For you, it's looking at when does your soul find its greatest sense of rest in Jesus and live into that. Um, and besides doing this weekly rhythm of Sabbath, every single day, carve out time for silence and solitude, just to be in the presence of God. One of my favorite definitions of, of contemplative prayer is this, looking at God, looking back at you in love. Um, what would that look like if your day was, was started with that, your day ended with that? And so just something just to consider um, as we live into the rest that Jesus offers. Let me just pray for us. Jesus, thank you. We don't have to wonder what your heart is like, how heavy your yoke is, or where your rest is. It's all found in you. Jesus, thank you for your heart that is gentle and lowly. Thank you for your yoke, which is easy and light. And thank, thank you for your rest that is for our souls. God, we confess that we have not taken you up on your invitation nearly enough. So we come back to you, we repent, we turn our hearts to you, Lord God, and find rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.